Hey folks and welcome to another episode of Dicing with Design. It's been a while. This is Colin Gray here, not with Grant today, but with Joe coming up because we're running a few episodes from friend of the show, Matthew McLean, who runs another podcast called Bedroom Battlefields, where he talks about all sorts of tabletop goodness. So this time around, it's Joe and Matthew talking about Warhammer alternatives. So anything that could be an alternative to Warhammer 40k, Warhammer Fantasy for tabletop battles. And Joe's talking about one of his games as well, which is Warpack, which is kind of a Warhammer, but played with cards. So I'll let you jump into it. Here comes Matthew and Joe talking Warhammer alternatives. Have fun. There's plenty of options out there if you like your rank and flank mass fantasy battle games. A lot of people still just play their favourite edition of Warhammer. Then there's uh, games like Kings of War, Mayhem and Oathmark. On this episode though we'll find out a wee bit more about another choice that's available to you and that's in the form of a game called Warpack. I'm joined by creator Joe Prince of Prince of Darkness Games and I kicked off the chat by asking him a wee bit about the first time he played a game of Warhammer Fantasy Battles. First time I ever played like a, a proper game of Warhammer Fantasy Battle was in the, the old games workshop in York because I'd, I'd got into it, probably how most people got into it, like through Hero Quest. So, so I'd come, like remember when it was like 1988 or 1989 when Hero Quest was advertised on TV. That was like the most amazing thing that you'd ever seen. That was an advert, eh? that, yeah. that Hero Quest advert, <laughs> yeah, amazing, yeah. probably on YouTube, isn't it? I'll have to look yeah, for it. Yeah, it must be, yeah. That was on, because yeah, that was on like primetime kids TV, and so if there's someone who was, who was kind of into fantasy stuff anyway, it was just like, that was the must-have game. So I had that, and then because it was made by Games Workshop in conjunctions with Warrington's, then it led you to uh, um, finding more of the Citadel miniatures range and stuff, and then I'd, from that I'd gone into Advanced Hero Quest because um, they had that like our game shop, and from that I'd started collecting the Skaven because they were like the enemies in Advanced Hero Quest. So I started building up like a small Skaven collection, and then for my, my birthday, when I can't have how old I must have been, maybe thirteen or. 12, 12 or 13 or something or 14 went to uh, to York and then um, yeah it was their, their gaming night and like uh, one of the, the, the guys upstairs just kind of said oh what models have you got and then helped me build like a little army and then play out this quick game and that was um, that would have been using what what we kind of call third edition now like the Warhammer with the Warhammer armies but it was uh, a very different game from uh, later editions Mm-hmm. So third, third. I always get these mixed up. Was third the High Elves and the Goblins? Is that right? No, that was fourth. That was fourth edition. Was fourth, when they went right. fourth edition was like the first time they had the, the actual box set. Third edition, it, third edition, it kind of like the first three editions kind of meld into each other, and it was when the the fantasy role play game wasn't really separated from the war game. So they both mm. like had the, the same base book, but then there was like the armies. The the Warhammer armies book had come was what we were using, uh, and that just had like lists of all the different armies. You had like like every army book in, in one that was really cool i think my mate still got a copy of that somewhere but it had everything it had like your slan and pygmy armies and things and hobgoblin armors and stuff and like uh, rules for cafe armies and, and things like that alongside all the the main ones like the elves and orcs and the dwarves and empire and what have you so so with the, with the games workshop stuff were you always inclined to the fantasy stuff did you ever do a bit of 40k a bit of space marine anything like that 
Um, I was more towards the fantasy. I did play. Um, I've always liked Space Hulk. Like that was like the, the game that I had as well. I like the. I was. I had the first edition of that or the second edition. I think it was the first edition I had, like the one that had Gene Steeler and Deathwing as the expansions. I had that. I played that, but I, I didn't get into 40k as much. Um, like some of my mates who were playing it, they were, were into 40k a lot more. But I'd, um, like in the Rogue Trader area, I just kind of dabbled with it, never really got into it. And then the same was like the, the uh, what we called Golden Eagle edition. And then third edition, I went when Tau came out, then I, I started getting into it a bit more and actually played 40k for a while. Then that was kind of uh, like tower my army in, in, a, in a way. Like a lot of my mates already had the other armies claimed. I mean, like everyone had Marines, but everyone had like the other armies claimed. Like it was only Alan had Elder, so he couldn't get Elder or something. Or Ian would have the Imperial Guard, so he don't get he <laughs> don't get the Guard. So uh, yeah, I played it quite a lot. Um, third edition in the, the times of Rhino Rush, and then after that, um, not played 40k so much. But but Fantasy's kind of always been there on and off. So. Were you? Were you playing Warhammer Fantasy actively when they destroyed the thing? And what was it, 2016, 15? <laughs> yeah, I think it was 2015, 16, the end times. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I was. That was, uh, yeah, a big blow. And it was, it was, it was the same as Double Edged Sword because it was really like the end time stuff when they came out with Outline, they came out with all the new new rules and new models and stuff and new fluff and stuff. That was really cool because it's like, oh, Warhammer's finally being supported. <laughs> it's got some really nice new models that we can add in and these new lists and alternate ways of doing it. All the elves can fight together and then, then they just blew up the world. <laughs> so. Well, I, oh, before I get on to that, actually, I was going to ask about aesthetics and stuff, but I, I do, because um, our mutual friend, Colin Gray, um, you did the Dyson with Design podcast. Oh with him. yes, we did. And yeah. When I was was listening ago. back to them, and an episode that was like just about round this time, um, you made a, a reasonable prediction that that would happen. I don't know how available that information was at the time, but I remember you uh-huh. talking about the, the the rumors that it might have been turning into like a skirmish game or stuff, and it kind of did, didn't it? So, well, yeah, yeah. They went with the, the round bases and, yeah, moving away from blocks of units in formation. Yeah. Were you devastated about that, or were you excited by it? Or I was I was disappointed. I was, yeah, I, wouldn't, I wasn't fully burning my army, devastated, torching the miniatures. <laughs> that happened, wasn't didn't it? Yeah, that happened, yeah. It was, yeah. It was it was disappointing. It was kind of end of an era because like for the last few years we'd always made a, an effort of trying to go like once or twice a year to Nottingham to play in like the Battle Brothers tournament or the Warhammer Open tournament or something. And I was kind of like, well, we're not, we're not going to do this anymore. That's not going to happen. We're not going to travel, you know, the, the pain in the ass journey to, to Nottingham and back from you know from Scotland to play Age of Sigma. It's just it just um, yeah. And when Age of Sigma first came out, it was such a, such a mess as well. And uh, you know, my knee-jerk reaction was to not want to have anything to do with it, and so I, I, you know, I didn't bother with it and didn't play it for a long time. And for a long time, it was, from what I've read, it was pretty much unplayable in that there was no structures to how to actually build an army or get a game. It was just put whatever models you want on the table and then try and uh, you know roll some dice, muddle through the Age of Sigma rules. But. Uh, yeah. What did you think that playing through Warhammer from when you started to when it was when it was killed, if you like? What did you think of the way the aesthetic went? Because it went very grimdark. It went, um, you know, the the, the kind of humour yeah. and that um, was dissipated a lot, wasn't it? So it was a very dark um, 
sort of game when it finished? Mm, well, from when I started playing, it, it had started off grimdark. Because I kind of saw on other episodes, like said, oh, they, they turned it grimdark in um, a sixth edition. But no, it had always been like the whole when Warhammer World was created, it was supposed to be like a grimdark fantasy version as opposed to like Dungeons and Dragons. And then mm. they kind of went back to that aesthetic, I think, in sixth sixth edition. Um, but yeah, the early stuff with like the slaves to darkness and, you know, when you had Slam having lobotomized human slaves and things. <laughs> and like the weird stuff that you could get on the Chaos Rewards table and stuff, it was it was pretty grimdark and, 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 and weird uh, from, the, from the get-go. But... Uh, I guess I just I just sort of think because my my like entry point um it was the period of red everywhere and you know the the Kev Adams goblins and stuff oh and yeah yeah everything everything just looked loads of fun <laughs> so um and when I looked at some of the 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 later stuff um, I mean it still looked great it was just there was a darker feel to it um a bit more serious I think it, it's, it kind of looks. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, like it was kind of like the fourth edition, fifth edition, where it was more. They did a lot of, of work on the the goblins and the night goblins and squigs and things. I think putting like that was quite a lot of the the humour and cartooniness came out there. I think, um, but then yeah, later on they did kind of want to swing back, swing back to the the grim dark uh, fantasy of like the you know the poverty of the Bretonian peasants and things like how. Uh, awful it was in that feudal society to get back to that um balance with like the kind of wackiness of like the goblins and stuff i guess so when uh, when the old world gets blown up there's a vacuum yeah. for a mass a uh, fantasy battle ranking flank game we obviously we got kings of war i'm not sure i'm not sure what year kings of war came about um yeah, that was, had... yeah. i think that was that was kind of I remember Kings of War was like one of the things that kind of spurred me on to start going with, with Warpack, and that was it was it was before the um, before the end of the old world because Mantic had brought it out uh, to kind of fill gaps in the Games Workshop's range for Warhammer. I think for a lot of the plastics and right. stuff when they, when they first put them out, yeah, like the elves and their undead and stuff. Yeah, because it was they were running, they were both running for for a while for a couple of years, I think. Anyway. Ah, right. I didn't. So. I didn't know that they they coexisted for a while. Um, latterly, we've had Oathmark as well. I had Joe McCulloch on the podcast um, last episode, so Oathmark you can play the big battles with that rule set as well. Another one I've come across, um, Mayhem. I don't know if you've heard the Brent Spivy. He wrote a game called Rogue Planet. I've, um, yeah, is, that rings a bell. I don't. I've not heard about Mayhem. Oh, I think Mayhem. I think it's designed to be smaller scale than twenty eight mil. I think it's potentially six to ten mil. I think the idea is it's very, very mass battle. Like it's right. a big, big, huge, epic battle. Um, I need to have a closer look at it. Um, so, and then you mentioned the ninth, ninth age as well. So, yeah, ninth, um, I, d- I don't know a lot about that. So, is that just um, Warhammer fans that kind of kept it going or that? Is that right? Um, pretty much. At least that's how it started. Like, after, yeah, because eighth edition was the last edition of Warhammer and then the old world blew up. And then, yeah, so, so some of the fans who really liked the Warhammer system, yeah, created their own ninth age. And then I think it was quite linked to like the, um, so the ETC tournament scene, like it's it's quite uh, um, it's quite tournament focused now. Ninth Age, it seems to be and stuff. Because it, although it's in the second edition now, so I don't know if it's really tenth age. Um, and I've, I've played a bit 
ninth age. I played, went to a couple of, of tournaments and uh, like the, the first edition I thought was okay. It, it was very, it is very much like kind of trying to keep Warhammer and keep all the complexities and keep lots of the, the similarities, lots of the nostalgia of, of Warhammer. Um, but it, but trying to make it more balanced in a way. Uh, so it, it loses a lot of the the wackiness and, and the characters. Like this, there's some of the the um, you know weird army builds that you could do in Warhammer just you know, just don't exist in Ninth Age at all. They're just they're not. That's not not the uh, direction they've taken with it. So. Yeah, I need to give a shout out as well, Nathan Stone, another guest on the show, because those guys run the Warhammer Orchard, which I think is kind of the same idea that they just that's a community that. Um, use i think it's the favorite aspect to all the different editions and they've just kind of created their own one and they embellish it a wee bit so i suppose there'll be a lot of that that goes on um yeah there's a lot and there's the like the whole old hammer uh scene as well of people i think that's people pretty much using like a version of like second edition third edition uh, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. slightly tweaked yeah going back to that old school and that brings us Brings us nicely to Warpack, which is a game that that you created yourself, Joe. So, um, how yeah. long how long has this been in the works? Uh, and I mean, you sent me you sent me a, a polished up rule set there, but yes, you know, yes, have you been working on this a long time? Or? It has been a long time. It has been a labour of love of, of, a, of a long time. I could say, like, kind of think when the first time I played Kings of War was kind of what got what got me going and thinking, oh, I could you know go back to that that system that I'd, I'd tinkered with a bit and gone, no, there's something here I can um, build from. Um, but now to finally get like a rule set that I'm kind of happy uh, sharing and happy for people to play test and, that, and that's more streamlined than the older versions and just much easier to get into. Yeah. I'm pleased with it. Uh, but I guess, I guess it must do about 10 years or so. I've been actually working on it on and off. <laughs> so. I had a wee, a wee flick through it. I've not yeah. properly dived into it, but I had a flick through the, the rules that you sent me. You sent me that nice PDF, uh, which I printed out. So the thing that jumps out to me straight away that I need to ask you about: no dice. I can't see anything about dice in there. Is that no right? No dice. That's right. Yes, it's uh, yeah, a diceless game. It's all um, done with with cards instead. You, um, the deck of playing cards that you use. That's that's the randomizers that you then assign to your units. So each unit has its effectiveness value um, based on the card for the turn. Um, yeah, I did have like a modified version where I was using using dice. Um, Reaching using two d six, but uh, that was, that wasn't. It didn't have the, the same um, uh, strategic element of because that's that's part of the strategy of the war pack of like assigning your action cards, um, and instead of rolling the dice when you when your unit makes the action, you get kind of all your randomised at the start of the turn and have to decide where to assign them. So it helps kind of mitigate against some of that bad luck because you can try and you know, sink some low cards on units that you think won't be involved in anything crucial um so what uh what what do we need to play warpack then we've got a couple of armies and those you, you talk in the book that's 28 mil but it doesn't necessarily need to be does it i mean you could sort of adapt no. it to it, no it doesn't have to be that's kind of why i've, I've written the ranges in like as an abstract um instead of being linked to like inches or centimeters specifically everything's done in like an abstract unit of range so you could scale it, it up to like really big models or scale it down to like 10 mil or something quite easily um 
but that said, I've I pretty much played at 28 mil, you know, it's with all the old Warhammer um, favorites get thrown into the mix. So, so t- talk us through a typical turn on it then. Like, how, how might that work? Yeah. So the, the turn's kind of broken down into like four um, main phases. And the first phase is getting your, your command cards. This is like assuming like we're, you know, partly through the game, we've already deployed and the units are on, on the field. Um, and each player gets dealt first a number of, of command cards equal to the number of units they've got in their army. And then these are, um, you can use like a, a standard um, deck of playing cards. So they range, you know, scores range from like an ace up to um, a, a king. Although to kind of keep the uh, the numbers from skewing, I, I count kings and queens as sevens and jacks as sixes. So like a, a tens, your, your top card. Um, and the four suits correspond to like different types of action. Um, like so, um, you know, melee attack or shooting or magic or defense. And if you've got the right suit to the right action, then the value doubles. It acts as a trump. So, and an ace, a trump ace will count as an 11 doubles, like giving you a 22. So that's like the best card you can get for that particular action. Um, and then once you've, so you get dealt your hand of, of cards and then you assign them secretly to your units on, on the field. So, you know, which units have got which cards, how effective they're going to be that turn, but your opponent doesn't until that unit um, reveals its card by making an attack or has to reveal it um, to defend itself by coming under attack. Um, so, and because of the way, the way the Trump's suits work, you can have like a, you know, it could be a hard choice as to whether you want to put a good defensive card on a unit or whether you like, you know, really need them to get stuck in, even if it means they're going to um, be likely to take damage uh, back. Do we? Do we? If I'm playing you, do I have a complete deck of cards, and you have a complete deck of cards? Uh, no, it's a shared. It's a shared deck. We just use one deck. deck. Um, it's mm-hmm. a shared deck, and part of of the um, uh, timing of the game is when the deck runs out. That's when the the end game triggers and stuff. So um, mm. you don't have to worry about tracking which turn number you're on. You just uh, you know, look at the deck of cards as to like how you know, how much longer is left in the game, which means. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, the more units you got, the quicker you'll, you'll run through it. So for bigger games, I say it's like the second or third time the deck's exhausted is when like the end game's triggered. Um, but for a quick game, we've got like a quick skirmish battle. Then it's just the first time the deck runs out that uh, like triggers the end game and means like the, the next turn will be the last turn. What's uh, what's it like in terms of like bookkeeping and keeping track of wounds and things like that? What's the sort of process there? Um, yeah, I, I don't like it to be anything to be too complicated. So I've tried to keep it fairly simple. Um, and, and that's kind of where the dice come in. Like dice are really good wound markers and wound counters. <laughs> so I tend to use them for that. Um, but essentially when a unit takes damage, um, you, you track the wounds that is taken. And if it takes wounds in excess of, of the toughness of one of its models, then you take off that model. You take off as many models until you've uh, matched the damage. So if you like you you know, if you've got a unit of infantry, you've got a toughness of three, and they take six damage, then yeah, you're taking off two models. And then you wouldn't have to mark any wounds on the unit. But if they took, like, uh, seven damage, then you take off two models and mark one wound on the unit for next time they get hit. So. Were you quite um, intentional about doing the removal of units? Because, again, when we go back to Kings of War, I know they've got a system of the... the the unit is on the table and it can be multi-based because it's, it's going to break yeah. or be killed and that's the only point where it's going to be removed. Yeah, I, I 
I can see why they did that for Kings of War. And it's, it does keep things nice and, and quick. But I, I did kind of like the aesthetic of like you're seeing a unit dwindle. You're seeing them like getting, you know, beaten down by the, the attrition as they're taking damage. And so essentially the, the models kind of are wound markers in a way. So it seems it's, to me it made sense to just use that and use that aesthetic. And yeah, it's, you know, sometimes you start off with a huge horde unit and then they've taken loads of damage and then you're just down to like a, you know, a few stragglers left. I kind of like how that looks on the table as well. How granular are you going in terms of a unit? Um, are are we looking at like rank and file and maybe a champion at the front, or are all units or all models in the unit considered as equals, no matter what the model is? Uh, it's it's just yeah, it's rank and file and champion. It's just a champion. That's the only um, all all models are equal, but you can buy champions for most units. So in which case, one model counts as a champion who gives like a, a buff to the whole unit. Um, mm-hmm. And and here and it's kind you, of like this in the same way. Sorry, like can the champion be targeted to 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 take him or her out first when you're removing casualties? Uh, no, the champion's always the always the last to to die. So you always, mm, if you mm. pay for a champion, you always get the benefit of that champion while that unit's still on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, Do the cards um, make their way onto the table, or are they kind of sitting with you at the, at the at your side of the table? Um, it's it's kind of the player's choice. For me, I quite often like to put the cards on the table next to the units, but you've also got. Um, cards with the unit stats on or or an army list and you can just put the card put the um the action cards back with them like off this off at the side uh, to keep things a bit neater so it's, it's kind of down to personal choice either way it works and uh, it depends on the size of the cards and things but uh, did you approach the game with like a design ethos or was it more just a sense of working through and and you know thinking what felt cool and playtesting and stuff like that um i think i, I definitely I did have, have an ethos there's there's things that I'd, that I, I liked and things that i wanted to to avoid and one of the big things i wanted to have was just have it like a multiplayer so you could have a three player or four player game it wasn't limited to like just uh, 1v1 or or teams of one side against another um so that was something that, that was important and, and the other thing is i wanted it to be like you know the game's not over until you're actually playing it you know, I want it to be like, so armies, you know, if you spend your points on an army, it's going to be roughly equivalent to another army of, of that point, you know, that point level. Like there's not going to be, um, you know, kind of traps for new players or something, whereas like some units are, um, you know, massively underperform for their points cost. So I like it to kind of, be, kind of be balanced and to be decided more by yeah, gameplay on the table rather than, you know, being one in the list building phase, or or, mm-hmm. in, the, or, in, or in the buying models phase, <laughs> for some. Yeah. What was the What was it like doing all the playtesting? Because you, you've sort of been working on it for a number of years. So, um, in the early days of doing the playtesting, were there quite big things that would come up that you needed to overcome? Um, uh, or has the core yeah. of the game always kind of existed in the same the same form? Um, that's a good question. I think the, the core's kind of always been there in, in the same form, in that it's been you know, you're dealing out the action cards to your units. Um, but there were yeah big changes that have been made, and um, I always wanted it to be quite quite simple and quite easy to uh, to pick up and, and play, and didn't want a huge tome of, of a rule book. So um, 
but I've definitely stripped that back a lot and made it a lot easier. Made it a lot easier for people to just um, create their own armies because in the some of the older versions I had like a full, like a second book almost of how to design your how to design your faction. Like there was points that you you could buy to um, unlock different types of units and. Uh, um, you know, so your faction might have a speciality in kind of cavalry or something, and um, that's when I was still having um, in the structure that a lot of games have, where you have to have a certain amount of core troops as like a core tax that you have to pay before you can get the more exciting ones and things like that. So I, I had that in the early versions, but I've kind of kind of done away with that now and just left it more more flexible and just uh, hope the different types of unit are you know are costed so that they're reasonably balanced but uh, I mean you never really know until it gets out in the wild <laughs> like playtesting it seemed okay but uh, you know, that's part of the fun of the game I guess trying to trying to um, solve it and <laughs> find the optimal builds and things Who would you say was the, the, the main target audience for Warpack? It's well yeah originally I thought it was like people who were um, you know f- fed up with Warhammer all got kind of burnt by the old world ending and wanted to, you know, carry on that that uh, wargaming approach. Um, but more, I'm thinking it's it's, probably, it's maybe a younger audience as well. It's maybe it's, it works well for um, bringing kids in, into wargaming um, like who've maybe not played before. So that was what I, I noticed because I was going to a few of the conventions and, and just setting up and just running demo games. And often it would be like the younger players who who seemed you know really excited or like the fantasy models and would get and would get into it and uh it's kind of seemed to flow simply enough and not be too overwhelming for them that they would they would get into it and have a good time so i found it's and I've, i'm playing it with my uh, you know with my wee boy who's, who's nine we've played some war pack and i've played that with his, with his, some of his friends and um yeah they seem to enjoy it so i think that more that's kind of what i've learned just from running it and just from running it out at conventions that it actually it's it's a great war game for for uh, younger players or newer players um as well as uh, you know us old cynical veterans <laughs> how long uh, does a game typically last then um yeah again it depends on on the size but like a, a quick skirmish game i think if you could probably get done in about an hour if you're uh, um know what you're doing maybe like an hour and a half if you if it's playing out taking a bit a bit longer or someone's first game um but up to like if you're having a big 30 point battle then that's going to be like a, a whole afternoon i reckon to to play that out and yeah it can depend on the number of players as well the more players you add into the mix it uh, slows things down um adds a new element of that kind of meta game what's the what's the state of play with its availability like how how would people get their hands on it going forward <laughs> Yeah, we'll go go for that's what I got to to work on next because I've just um it was just putting this draft together and to get to to yourself with and for my Patreon was like uh, my last uh, challenge. So at the moment uh, the only way to get it is to um back my my Patreon for a princely price of two pounds a month. If you're on the lower tier, then it's it's already there, so you'd get access to that and be able to um get the full version. Um. But yeah, going forward, I want to make a kind of nicer looking and a bit maybe a bit more user friendly version, that, um, adding in more bits, examples, and things, and then uh, get that out there. And 
still to be decided. But ultimately, I like to kind of do a, a kickstart when I've got um, a bit more artwork put together and things like that and um, get the availability out there. But uh, I would we'll try and get like a, a bare-bone version out to a few wargaming clubs first and things like that, I think. Have you done much in terms of world building, um, story worlds and stuff like that, or are you leaving that up to the, the players to you know, create their own story worlds and backgrounds? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And I, my kind of preference is to leave it more up to the players. Um, but that said, I have kind of in, in my head, I've got a fair bit of, of the story world. I had, I had started typing up some of it. I'd, I've written up some of the, the background for the um, the world that was going to accompany Warpark, or maybe it still will. Um, but that was in a, a slightly different iteration that's when i had all these factions that um so i've still got all these storylines there's different factions of like the emerald horde and the, the norse dwarves and the uh, um the seals and sylvan fey and things in the the Ulfenvar werewolf folk so i've got i've got all these uh, the storylines in the world there somewhere but it's not uh, it's not quite written up in a, in a version to share so um yeah, that's still something for me to decide, like whether I want to include all that or whether whether it's just about I like the players just creating their own worlds and then then um, you know the characters that you bring to your army that you come up with that you create, you know, they have whatever significance you want in the world. Like they could be one of the main leaders or the head of a nation. You're not uh, not kind of constrained by you know playing second fiddle to Carl Franz or whoever else is out there. So. Yeah, I, it's a it's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, I, I, when I got the Kings of War rule set and saw that they'd built their world in it, but I just couldn't get into it. Couldn't get into their lore. Um, I don't know what it was. A lot of folks say it's because they called the world Mantica. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe put people off, but I just, I don't know. I just couldn't get, I couldn't really play in that sandbox. I always found myself going back to the old Warhammer armies. and um, Maybe it's just what you grow up with, I suppose. Uh, are you using mm. are you using mainly Citadel miniatures? Do you use any other miniature range? Uh, yeah, mainly Citadel, but no, I've used lots of other things as well. I've got like a, a human um, uh, Perry, um, the Perry miniatures from like the Civil War era and stuff. So I use them as a human faction, and I've got some uh, of the old um, Rackham uh, werewolf models who are really cool. So it's really nice to use them. I've like this werewolf faction and uh, and some I use some hordes and some war machine models as well thrown in. So it's that's the nice thing about it being minis agnostic. You can just just bring whatever and add it into a faction, mix it all together. Um, yeah, that's the other cool bit that I like. I know that I know that fantasy isn't a period, but how advanced. Um, can the technology get in the game? Like, um, it's, it's can it kind go of black powder? To, can you get yeah, yeah, machine black guns? Powders from, <laughs> <laughs> you can get uh, kind of Gatling guns, uh, a volley gun, and that's the as advanced as it gets. And they're like the Giselle long rifle and stuff. So it's like, yeah, black powder technology, but pretty, pretty basic up to kind of like muskets and things. Um, the part of like building your army in Warpack is you choose what technologies are available to them and stuff. So black powder is a choice that you can that you can take, and if you take that, then it yeah, unlocks access to these uh, advanced black powder weapons and engineering and stuff. So 
what would your um, big ambitions be for the game? Like, what would you really like to see happen in the the future with it? Um, yeah, I just like I'd like to see it get picked up by lots of, of players and uh, gaming clubs and things. People getting into it, and uh, you know, ultimately, it'd be great to be doing some like I mean, maybe not even tournaments, but just like some uh, weekend events or things, or some you know, have like some ongoing storylines um i've got like a campaign system that i've been working on for 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 it as well the pretenders campaign system so i'd get get out there and just uh yeah it'd just be cool to hear about other like wargaming groups playing it and hearing like the the stories of their campaigns and seeing what uh what happens what what narratives come out of that um yeah and like i'd love to launch it on kickstarter and uh get it to get out to as many groups as, as possible and get it uh, get it played it just always gives me a buzz when I hear like someone's played one of my games and they've you know had fun doing it so. what are some of your favourite miniature games um yeah well I think like Warhammer is obviously like the, the, the big one and Advanced Tier Quest that I've always already mentioned like they were the ones that I grew up with and uh, um it's mostly games workshop stuff I guess for the uh, miniatures games Blood Bowl as well I've always in, enjoyed Blood Bowl played uh fair bit of that um yeah and and uh yeah space hawks a good uh classic uh board game survival horror I, yeah i had that for the commodore 64 <laughs> yeah. space hulk um i don't think it was very playable um no terrifying that, that, that was <laughs> That was the case for lots of Commodore 64 games. I look at back on it very nostalgically, but my wife once got me like a, a emulator console and it was it was like the early 80s games on it and I was like, I can't even play these. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're ruining my childhood. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, do you do you do um do you get much painting done these days? Do you do a lot of painting with your miniatures? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty pretty well these days. I've got like a, a painting area set up, so and, and I'm just um, it's nice that I've got, I've got to a point where I'm just I, I can just paint what I want to paint now and stuff. Whereas I suppose sometimes when it was what it was the the days of like you know going to the occasional tournament or things for Warhammer, I'd be like okay, no, I need to get that unit done. I've written this list, so that's that's what I have to do and get that done. And it was good to have that deadline, but now it's it's bit more chilled out so i'm just yeah working my way through lots of random models i'm just uh finished my big oh, finishing off my big conversion of like um thank bone ripper helper abomination thing that's kind of been built again over many years and just finally actually got it painted so yeah do, do you buy new games workshop models um i, I still do occasionally especially because like i said my, my boy boys I mean, he, he goes in, in and off it, but he'd got into Age of Sigmar uh, recently. So I've been buying some stuff for him and then buying a few bits uh, for myself. I, I did like the new, like, Cruel Boys models that they came out with. So I got the uh, the Dominion set just to get those models. And because uh, and um, he likes the Stormcast, so he's painted up all the Stormcasts and done all, all them. So, uh, um yeah, I got it for the, for those guys. They're pretty cool. I've I've only built the painted the boss and I need to build the rest of them. But uh, what do you think of the modern aesthetic of the Games Workshop stuff? It's 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 been 
kind of trying to make your peace with with the scale creep. I think that's the thing that's just happened since since I started collecting. Like the models have just got got bigger and bigger, pretty much. Um, I'm starting out from I don't know whether it was supposed to be 25 mil when it started, but now it's like about 35 mil or something for the for your your standard guys. Um, and it's it, yeah, it's it's weird for the Age of Sigma because a lot of, a lot of the models are quite like and quite like the concepts because it's all it's they've gone totally different with it and some of them some of them are really cool like the uh, the Cahedron Overlord Steampunk Dwarf guys they've, they've got some cool models, um, but but at the same time I miss the the character of like the old like metal models from the 80s and stuff and like they all like Jez Goodwin, Skaven and, and Wood Elves and things, they're the ones that I really like and still have in my army so um, yeah, I mean some of it some of it did, did get a bit too big and too like you know, it was just like huge roided up orcs and things, so that's partly why I kind of quite like the cool boy even though they're really tall models, they've kind of gone bit back to like an older like more of lord of the rings kind of aesthetic like a bit more rangy scraggly orcs instead of more looking like bodybuilders so um, yeah. <laughs> i quite like yeah i quite liked that and stuff but uh yeah wish they could have just stuck with that from the outset instead of yeah going through that whole making them the massive especially because they didn't really seem to make sense with the stats that they were giving orcs as well same like 40k and fantasy where they were still you know you had these huge Hulking guys who are still only strength three. Like, why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aye. Yeah. The um. So some of the some of the models they sell for Age of Sigmar, I think they were they're just repurposed uh, Warhammer Fantasy models. Like I've got yeah. some Marauders and some Chaos Warriors, and they just they they stick them on round bases now and sell them for Age of Sigmar. So a lot. Yeah. But maybe not a lot of the stuff, but some of the stuff is like. As, as old Warhammer stock, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of it is. A lot of the stuff that they kind of already had in plastic, I think, for Warhammer, I think that seemed to be what, what made the cut as to what survived the Age of Sigma to the other plastic kit for it. Yeah, then you can still get it. But, uh, um, what do you think yeah. would happen if I turned up to the shop with like loads of the Monopose High Elves uh, from 4th edition and just put them down? Do you think that'd be okay or? Yeah, want me I to think so. I'd be, be fat that. Get away with that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. As long as they're, yeah, they're painted all right. Or, then It'd be hard fine. to know who was who, though, so, because they're all the same. Yeah. <laughs> did you uh, did you paint a, a few of the high elves in your day, those monopose classics? Uh, yeah, I did, although it was orcs and goblins for me, so it's mostly <laughs> the goblins. I'd not like uh, trade the high elves or give them give away to someone else, and just it was just the monopose <laughs> goblins and the spears and the bows, like, yeah, hundreds of them. <laughs> and then the Gretchen for 40k, oh, like, yeah, painted yeah. a few of them too. Yeah. What are uh, do, you, do you have any models these days that are super rare um, in, your, in your collection? Um, stuff you wouldn't I, part with. Stuff I, I have, I have a ridiculously big collection of stuff. A lot of things that I wouldn't wouldn't part with. Yeah, uh, I really got into collecting the trolls in like eighth edition. I was like trying to go back and try and get like pretty much every every Games Workshop troll that they'd ever made and things. So I got most of them. So some of some of them, I think I've got like one of the old Blood Bowl ones, who's really rare and really obscure and stuff. So he's pretty cool and. Yeah, I wouldn't really want to paint part with any of the uh, the old metal ones that I've painted. So. 
I had the troll yeah. for Blood Bowl. Uh, I had a box of Blood Bowl with that troll uh, with a, a full painted uh, Chaos team and my mum chucked them out <sighs> put them, I know. them in the bin. whole thing. <laughs> um, and she put my 40k box. I had Gasgull, I think he, his name was. Oh, his yeah. Standard bearer. I had him. I had, uh, had quite a lot of characters for back then. Um, a lot of fancy wee space marines and stuff that went in the bin too. She'd be thinking she's thrown out some, you know, snakes and ladders, <laughs> snakes and ladders. Like, just chuck that out, chuck this out too. And yeah. looking back, I'm like, Mum, it's probably worth quite a lot look, of money. Mum, look on eBay, these guys you threw out, see what they're going for. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've heard stories of um, guys that. That, that make it explicitly clear to their partners that look, see if I see if I get killed in like a car crash, this stuff is worth a lot of money. Like, don't just uh, don't just ask somebody to come and like clear the room. Like, uh, find somebody who knows what they're doing and make sure you get some money for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's a fair point, I guess. Yeah, yeah. There's the secondhand market is is kind of crazy. Sometimes models are, are worth. Or seem to go for very little, and then sometimes you see them, yeah, being listed for for yeah, crazy amounts. And um, yeah, on a on a previous episode, one of the things that come up was uh, it's worth it into your ox farms, your Sioux riders, and stuff like that because you just don't know what might be in there. Like you know, people like my mum, maybe they they don't throw stuff out, maybe they go and just hand it in there, and it sits it's like fifty pence for a a very rare tome or box of models or that yeah something like, like that yeah you just never know a rogue trader army or something like that that turns up yeah so um where uh just getting things wrapped up joe it's been a really good wee chat where uh can the listener if they're interested in checking out warpack where could they go and do that and, and get involved um yeah i mean at the moment the only the only place is, is to uh, follow my my patreon i'm just uh joe prince on, on patreon OJ Prince on Patreon, and um, you can follow me on Twitter as well. Um, but for now, yeah, Patreon's the best place, and I'll, I'll keep updated with uh, news on there. Um, but uh, yeah, watch this space. I'm hoping to reach more people soon. Um, but it's, it's been great. It's been like a, a recent kind of flurry of activity, just getting this done and kind of getting um, motivated again, getting back into it. So. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. For show notes, subscribe links and info about how to appear as a guest on a future episode, go to bedroombattlefields.com slash podcast.